Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food, or weight, never ever, not even, one time, not ever, ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Lori Lee Rourke with the It's Not About Food podcast, and I'm so honored that you're here today listening. And what we're going to talk about today is telling your own story. When Carol and I first started Beyond Hunger, one of the things that we really wanted to do in our groups is to have people in the circle tell their own story of how they got there, sort of like, when did your eating disorder or body hatred start? What was around that? What was happening to you? And then how is it manifested through your life? And then how are you in this room right now? And what is the story? And for ages, you know, we've sat around and told each other our stories. And now we sit around and watch a TV or a movie tell its story. But we've lost that sort of connection with each other in our little tribes. And we wanted to bring that back in the group. And this was always to build um, trust and faith in each other, but also to build compassion for the person so that she got to see or he got to see that when in the group, other people could have compassion and respect and honor for their stories, then they could start to have that for themselves. So I am so pleased and grateful to have Dr. Anita Johnston on today. The beautiful book that is just one of the best books written on this subject, which is Eating by the Light of the Moon, have her on the show today. And she's going to tell you a little bit of what she's been doing lately and what's going on with her. And then we'll have a little discussion about how important it is to know and tell your story to each other. So welcome, Anita. So what's been going on with you? What up with you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's my pleasure to be here. This is really what I love to do. I love to talk about the stories, the stories that are beneath the stories and and go through the layers of stories. And so that is what I do. I'm getting ready to launch. I have a, a new online course called The New Crescent Moon at the Light of the Moon Cafe. And it's sort of like a a book club for eating in the light of the moon, but it's it's interactive, it's online, and we have women from all over the world, and we go through the book chapters, but every single day there's an activity, there's a audios of stories to listen to, or poems to read, or drawing, or writing activities, and then we have a daily forum, and mm. I respond to all the comments and questions, and it's just my pleasure, because what happens is these women, they dive deep right away uh, and and into what's underneath the struggle. And there's Mm -hmm. only one rule on the forum, and that is no advice, only support. Mm -hmm. And the support has been absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. The compassion, the curiosity that just comes Mm -hmm. out of this. So that's what I'm up to. That's what I love doing. I'm getting ready to release my soul nourishment videos. They're a free video series that anyone can get at Mm lightofthemooncafe.com. And they're going to be available through beginning of March. Beautiful. 
And I love what you just said, how people will dive deep if just Mm -hmm. given the little bit of room to do that. I know you have probably had this experience yourself with going out with your book and for Carol and I going out with both of our books over it. And it's not about food. And then launching our body love cards that we'd be in a busy mall in a little tiny bookstore Mm -hmm. and a little small section in the way in the back of the room. And people would come in and share the most intimate details of their struggle with Mm -hmm. food and weight and cry. And it would be just like they were in a sacred little space Mm -hmm. inside of our therapy office. Mm -hmm. But we are desperate and hungry to tell what's going on. What I see, though, is that through the storytelling, what happens is whatever the struggle is with food or their bodies, body image... It's a portal, and it's a portal that can take someone, if they're willing to step through it, to unbelievable, it's a place beyond their wildest dreams, where they can connect with their authentic self, um, who they are really meant to be, and where they're meant to go in life, and it's it's outrageous. I happen to believe that people who struggle with eating difficulties and get on that path are the people the world has been waiting for. Yes. Because typically they're very emotionally sensitive and highly intuitive. They haven't quite learned how to work with it, and, and that's where <laughs> the journey begins, is learning how to work with those faculties. But honestly, those are the faculties the world needs right now because what comes with it is incredible amount of compassion and empathy, and we need it. That's right. That's right. And the consciousness that it takes to actually Mm -hmm. be with yourself all the time (laughs) instead Mm -hmm. of with food or alcohol or money or sex or whatever way we we go, but to just be with yourself in the moment all the time. And what I love is the struggle itself with food will take you there. If you can recognize that it's letting you know when you're moving away from connection with true self. Yes. So it's sort of like yes. it's sort of like a little signal. When I was little, I grew up with a lot of siblings and no neighbors and Typically, we had to learn how to play with each other, and uh, we, we were quite a wide range of ages. So we had to come up with a game that everyone could play, and we had this hide-the-button game. Mm. And so someone would hide the button, and if you got close to where it was hidden, that person would say, oh, you're getting warm, warm, oh, warmer, oh, you're really, really hot. Yes. And if you got away from it, it was like, oh, you're getting mm, really chilly now. You're so cold. And in a way, that's what the struggle is like, that's because right. it's it's a way of letting you know when you're disconnected when you're moving away from true self. So if you can start to understand it as a signal and rather than beating yourself up, oh my God, why did I eat that whole peach pie or whatever, to say, ah, okay, what's that about? How is that taking me away from my true self? Mm -hmm. What I'm I'm really feeling, what my core being is about. Right. Or we're standing in front of a mirror, beating ourselves up, our beautiful exquisite human bodies, but we're hating it and thinking that it's not okay and it needs to be whipped and beaten into shape. It's like, that's when you're getting really cold. You're getting getting away from from your true self. That's right. But if we can use that, wait, what am I saying? What am I doing? What am I thinking about myself? This, where did I learn this? What happened? 
And especially because we live in a culture that encourages us to disconnect from our authentic self in order right. to please others or in order to fit in, which means like thinking you have to look like and feel like and think yes. like and act like how you think others want you to think and look and act and feel. And the problem with that is the further you get from your true self, the more pain you experience. Right. It's very painful. So right. you want to know, okay, how can I connect with, I call it the soul self, you know, that just means your essential self. How can I stay connected? And people who struggle with food, well, they got a signal that's going to let them know. That's right. It's right there. It's a, mm-hmm. <laughs> we've had it since we were born. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love what you just said about getting away from the pain, what makes us think that we're getting away from it is eating. We get really confused about that. Oh, it's too painful. So that's why I eat. No, when you start to compulsively do anything, you're going into more pain, really, in the end. Right. And it's the compulsivity that takes you there. So it's like all of us, our first experience on the planet, when we're in distress, ah, you know, we're right. given either the breast or the bottle and we go, oh, so we're hardwired for that. But the problem is when that's the only way we know how to soothe, that's the only way we know how to calm ourselves, that's right. then it becomes compulsive. And so part of the task, I think, is to develop a bigger repertoire yes. of ways to feel good when you're feeling in distress. Right. And so I think the compulsivity is when it's a one-trick pony. That's the only way you know how to do it. So Mm -hmm. that's what you do over and over and over again. Yeah, I really like what you just said about that. It's getting fed when we're hungry is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. Getting fed when we're sad is not the match a lot of the time. It's the wrong food. (laughs) It's the wrong food. it's the one I think of like the metaphor I like to use around that is imagine that you have two tanks, tank A and tank B. Mm-hmm. And tank A is the tank you fill when you need physical nourishment, fill it with food. Mm-hmm. But tank B is the tank that you feel when you need emotional nourishment, when you need attention or affection or appreciation or mm-hmm. acknowledgement or maybe meditation or prayer. And the problem is, is no amount of food will ever fill tank B. That's right. And we get them confused. We think there's just one tank. And so if we only know how to soothe ourselves with food, we try to fill tank B with food. And it, it's an endless pit because it doesn't work. Well, and so then we either can't stop or we don't want to eat at all because you think, oh my God, I can't ever get that started because it'll never end because it's the wrong kind of food for that tank. That's right. And the process is then one of teasing the two out and and learning the difference between tank A and tank B. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times I should say from my own little story that I've had, I just stopped filling tank A because I felt like I couldn't control tank A. I couldn't control myself about that. And then I cut off tank B. So then I was just a little, I don't know, robot kind of a person walking around. I just had no needs and no wishes Mm -hmm. and no nothing. Thank you very Mm -hmm. much. Don't even look at me. Don't talk to me. Get away. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the task is one of teasing the two two tanks apart. That's right. And so for tank A, you rely on physical sensations. That will tell you. And they're actual physical sensations. I feel like pizza is not a physical sensation, right? (laughs) It's something in your body. It's an expansion or a contraction, a movement, a stillness, a roughness, a heaviness, 
a warmth, the coolness, some physical sensation. And that's what lets you know, oh, okay, it's tank A. But to get to tank B, you have to rule out tank A. And typically, let's say you're reaching for the pizza and you check in and there's not a sensation in sight, but you still want to eat that pizza. Yep. Well, then you know, oh, this is tank B. Right. So then you have to ask yourself, okay, mm, what's the feeling I'm trying not to feel? That's right. Um, to ask it with all the curiosity you can muster and see if, if there's a feeling. But I'm here to tell you more often than not, the answer will be, mm, I don't know. I feel fine. Everything's <laughs> yeah. okay, right? Right. Because unconscious is out of your awareness. Oh, and so yes. the process then is, okay, how do, you, how do you find it? How do you get it into consciousness? And what I've discovered is the food. The food itself will tell you what the hunger is for tank B. It's ah. talking to you, but it's coded. It's talking to you in metaphor. Yes. And you have to learn to crack the code to get That's to right. the answer. That's right. So tell me more about that. That is such a good idea about, oh, the food is what's going to tell food. me. Because yeah. if, I don't know, I would oh, think. Yeah. If I ate a salad, then I'm a good girl. If I ate a pizza, yeah. I'm a oh, bad that's, girl. Yeah, that's, that's going to take you far down the wrong path. Exactly. You're in trouble when you start moralizing food. Exactly. You've got to get curious here. So I'll share with you how to crack the code. And okay. for anyone that's listening, don't worry about having to trying to scribble this down or memorize it. I have a PDF that you could get if you go to lightofthemooncafe.com forward slash N-A-F, which stands for not about food. And uh, you can download this. So, but I'm going to share it with you right now. The way it works is this. Sweet foods have to do with either feeling like you're not sweet enough or there's not enough sweetness in your life. Mm -hmm. Now, this only goes if you're using the food and there's no physical sensation. Mm -hmm. So if you're physically hungry, food is just food. But now we're talking if there's no physical hunger and you're wanting to eat the food or continue to eat food you're already eating after you're full, that's when we're in the world of metaphor. Mm -hmm. So in Tank B, you, you've tumbled down Alice in Wonderland's rabbit hole where food is not food. Mm -hmm. It's a concrete physical symbol of another kind of hunger that you're experiencing and probably don't even know about. That's so, right. <laughs> we use the food, right? So sweet foods typically have to do, look to see where in your life you want more sweetness. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're feeling like, I need to be more sweet. I need to be more nice. Crunchy, mm -hmm. salty foods are usually connected with unexpressed anger and frustration. You know, ah, bite right. your head off, right? right, right. Smooth foods typically have to do with wanting things to smooth out in your life. Things are a little too rough, too right. hard. Warm foods, soups and stews, they're typically connected to a longing for emotional warmth. Mm -hmm. Spicy foods are often associated with either a desire or a fear of excitement, stimulation, and change. Mm -hmm. And chocolate, we know this from Valentine's Day, right? <laughs> it's That's about love. Love or <laughs> romance or sensuality yes. or sexuality. Right. And so when you start to play with your food that way, and, and it really is play, it's not working. Yeah. You have to be in this kind of playful element. For example, I was working with a woman, she struggled with bulimia, and I said, okay, if there were one food you wished you could eat and have absolutely no consequences, zero consequences, what would that food be? 
Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, vanilla ice cream with strawberries on top. And I said, okay, I want you to describe vanilla ice cream with strawberries on top as though I've never, ever had it. I don't mm-hmm. even know anything about it. And she said, well, it's sweet, it's smooth, and it's refreshing. Mm-hmm. And when we took a look at what was going on in her life, her boyfriend was accusing her of not being sweet enough. She had hit a rough patch with her parents that she was desperately wanting to smooth out. Yes. And she was in a dead end job in need of a refreshing change. So there was one food that was talking (laughs) to her and telling her a lot of stuff. That would do all of those things. (laughs) In the moment. Right. How it works when you start to play with it. I sometimes it's the language itself. So yeah. I had a client I was working with. She was a, a emergency room physician, and she was struggling with compulsive eating. And she came rushing into our session one day. She said, "Oh my god, oh my god, I can't believe what I did. I'm so disgusted." And I went, "Wow, what'd you do?" And she said, "Well, I got off work and I blew it. I cooked some chicken tenders for dinner for my husband and myself. And before he got home, I ate them all myself. Oh my God, I'm so disgusted. I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can we back up a little bit? So you just got off working, what was it? A 12 to 14 hour shift in the ER, tending to all kinds of physical and emotional trauma, right? And she went, Mm -hmm. yeah. I said, so what do you think you were really hungry for? And she said, I needed a hug. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, Mm -hmm. you needed tender loving care TLC, and instead you ate the chicken tenders yeah Mm -hmm. and her patients were sort of like little chickies that she was trying to take care of she needed tenderness so it was in the eating of the chicken tenders yeah (laughs) now if she were physically hungry chicken tenders are just chicken tenders but because she was longing for her own TLC. Yes. That that's why that happened. And so that's how it's coded. It's, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of wild. But when you start to play with it, it's so revealing. And it's kind of fun, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love the whole think of eating disorders or for a long time that people think of them as an addiction or it's just really a big, big sickness. But it's really like if you can look at it like, what is it trying to teach me? What am I trying to tell myself about this? Exactly. It's It's kind of like dreams do that. Our dreams talk to us symbolically. Like you can have a dream of, oh, maybe having sex with your accountant and you wake up and you're horrified, right? Yeah, oh my God. But if you understand it's symbolic language, you can't take it too literally. And maybe what the dream is saying is that you want to come into union with the part of yourself that needs to be accountable. You see, it's Ah, metaphor, it's symbolic language. With disordered eating of any kind, that's the language it speaks. That's right. And so when you can learn the language, it's a whole different story. That's right. It's a different story. And it's sort of like the law of homeopathy. What makes you sick will make you well. Go into it. Don't deny it. Don't say it doesn't happen. Don't go into like, oh, I would never do that with food. Well, because you might be doing that with food already. Yeah. And not to take it too literally, which is hard because we live in such a literal culture. So it requires, you know, kind of zooming out and looking at the symbolic nature of not just the food itself, but even what you're doing with food. So, for example, if you have a tendency to restrict your food, that's not the only thing you're going to be restricting in life. You're going to be restricting your emotions or or intimate relationships or new activities or or putting yourself on restriction if you make a mistake. Right. So 
restricting your life, you know? Exactly. The theme of restriction is everywhere. And if you can find that pattern, then as you clear it with your eating, you're clearing it in the rest of your life. And as you clear it in the rest of your life, you clear it with eating. And the same with if you binge purge or yo-yo diet or what you're going to see is look for those places where there's this pattern of taking in or taking on too much, too fast, and then having to get rid of it. So you might do it in relationships. You'll find madly in love. And then as soon as he looks at you cross-eyed or she looks at you backwards, you go, okay, this is over. I'm out of here. That's right. You might uh, sign up for a gazillion classes and then get overwhelmed. I have to drop out. Yeah. Take on a ton of projects and there's all too much and I'm going to bed. And so this process of binging and purging is everywhere in your life. Right. And if it's a tendency to binge eat, for example, you're going to find the theme of scarcity everywhere. It's not that there's not never enough food. There's never enough money. There's never enough coffee. There's never enough time. There's never enough attention. This, That's right. this theme of I'm not enough. So that theme of scarcity is going to be everywhere. That's right. So when you start to look at it metaphorically, a whole new way of understanding who you really are starts to open up. Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of cool. Well, and the thing about bulimia, I know when I was a bulimic, it was sort of like giving myself an abundance and then immediately taking it away. Yeah, you can't assimilate it, can't no, process it. No, it's sort of how I lived my life in a way. You know, I would bring people in my life, freak out, and make them all leave. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? Yeah. There's that pattern. Right. And again, when you can see, it's just a pattern. That's all it is. Yes. But it's a pattern letting you know, okay, maybe I need to slow down. That might be what this pattern is asking from me. Mm-hmm. And that so many of us have had some beautiful teachers in our road to recovery. And you obviously being one of the best ones, of course, with your look at the pattern, look at what's underneath Mm -hmm. this, look at what you're doing and try to see what you're trying to tell yourself is such a beautiful idea. And and again, not one that we do very much in the culture that we live in. No, no. And really can't listen to yourself. Look for the story because the story really can reveal so much. I mean, that's why I use metaphors. I use stories because we have so much judgment, oh my gosh, about food and our bodies so that to get to the truth you have to get past the judgment. And that's really, really hard, especially when you've lived a lifetime of telling yourself that or internalizing messages from the culture or people in your family or Mm -hmm. your ex or whoever. So the stories kind of help us imagine things in a different light so that we can see things differently. So I'll use metaphors all the time to kind of get somebody to look at something in a different way. Yes. Yeah. We have to have that other side of our brain to sort of open things up a little bit. Totally. And you know what? That side of our brain happens to be the right side of our brain. And we have uh, right above our right ear, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a little fold in our brain called the anterior superior temporal gyrus. And when we get an insight through like metaphor, where we go, oh my God, I get it. This is what this is about. 
What happens in the brain? They know now this. I used to call it just the lights going off in someone's eyes, but now they can Mm -hmm. measure it. And what they've discovered is there's a blast of gamma waves that comes out of that side of your brain, which is the highest electrical frequency in the brain, and it creates new neural pathways. Yes, I love that idea. Literally change your brain. It's so cool. I love that. It's sort of like change your mind, change your brain, change your pattern, whatever it is. It almost doesn't matter what the change is. Set down a new pattern. You know, somebody told me once and I tell my clients, if you find yourself doing the same thing over and over again, do something different. Sit in a different chair, walk outside and walk around the block. Do anything different. Wash the dishes instead of eating out of the refrigerator. Do something different to set down a new pathway. Or even just use your own imagination to imagine something different. And so to create different images in your mind's eye will actually allow things to change. Right. So that's why I use the metaphor of the log, which is, it's my favorite because it's everybody else's favorite (laughs) because it helps people imagine the struggle in a different way. It kind of takes them out of the old way of thinking that they've been locked into. Yes. Yeah. It's sort of like when we tell ourselves I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat. Mm -hmm. Then if you say Mm -hmm. the sky is blue, my car is Mm -hmm. white, my... (laughs) My dog is brown. That will is enough to kind of give you a different idea in that moment. And you might forget that you're so fat. Yeah. And and our imagination, it's our superpower. You can look around the room and there's nothing in the room that was not first imagined before it came into form. So it's really an incredible faculty. And uh, a lot of people say to me, well, I don't have a good imagination. And I, and I say, well, what do you think worrying is? Yeah, right? exactly. Worrying is just a bad use of a good imagination. Uh-huh. Um, we're really good at imagining all kinds of stuff. We have to be or to just get through our day. Of course we do. We have to imagine where the bus is going to be or how we're going to start the car. Where's our keys? We have to first do that. Mm-hmm. So when you consciously and deliberately use your imagination to imagine a different way of being with food or with your body, it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. It requires some repetition, but it's powerful. Mm -hmm. So what do you tell somebody who is, I would say, like somebody listening to this and thinking, well, I'm not a doctor and I can't, I don't know where to get this help. I don't know how to get this. And where's, I don't even know a therapist like this, or I'm never going to be able to recover because I don't have this imagination. So what would you tell her, somebody sitting far away and doesn't have many resources? What would you say to her in order to help her get on the path of her recovery and to find out who she really is inside. There's two parts to that. One is imagining the possibility of a recovery, because I believe full, complete recovery is absolutely, totally possible. I've been doing this for 35 years. I know thousands of people who have totally, completely recovered. So to know that that's possible and then to have an idea of what that might take. So, you know, there are resources, there are online resources, which is why I created the Light of the Moon Cafe, because there are people in remote areas, but typically they can get on the internet. And wherever you're living, I would recommend you can find therapists that specialize in disordered eating. You can find dietitians that specialize in health at every size, which is what I would recommend. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer up a 
a metaphor to help them imagine what that might be for them. Okay. So imagine, imagine you're on the banks of a raging river. It's pouring down rain. You slip and you fall in and you're drowning. You're getting pulled down through the rapids and along comes a big log and you grab on and the log saves your life. It keeps your head above water when surely you would have drowned. And eventually it carries you to a place in the river where the water is calm. And there you can see the riverbank but you can't get there because you're holding onto the log. So the irony is the very thing that saved your life is getting in the way of you going where you want to go in life. This is the struggle with eating or body image. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to understand it has served a function, a very important function, and it would behoove you to find out what that function is. Now, to make it more complicated, there's always someone on the riverbank yelling, let go of the log, let go of the log. <laughs> and you feel like an absolute idiot because you can't let go. Right. Well, that person could be the top eating sort of therapist in the country, or it could be the person who loves you more than life itself, or it could be the, the, the media that says, oh, just get over it. But the reality is, and I believe this, we will not, will not let go of anything until we're good and ready. That's just how we are. There's a part of ourselves that is very wise and won't let us let go mm -hmm. until we're ready. So what do you do instead? Well, let go of that log and try floating. And as soon as you start to sink, grab back on. Then let go of the log and maybe try treading water. And when you get tired, grab back on. Mm -hmm. and then let go of the log and swim around it once, grab back on, twice, grab back on, mm -hmm. 10 times, 100 times. 200 times until you have the strength and confidence to make it to shore. Then you let go. Because what would have happened if you let go, uh, started to swim to shore, got halfway there and realized, oh, shoot, I don't have the strength to make it. Well, that meant you don't have the strength to make it back to the log either. And you're really sunk. So mm -hmm. that wise part of ourselves says, no, we're not letting go of this until we're ready. So the idea is, I use this metaphor to explain, first of all, there's nothing wrong with you. There may be a good reason, a very good reason why you grabbed onto the log with eating mm -hmm. um, because you didn't have any other resources or faculty or support. The problem is that now it's time to let go and you don't have the skill set to let go. So you have to find out how it served you and then develop the skills that will support you in that way. And then you can let go of the log because essentially you put it out of a job. So you go for help. That's what you're getting help with. You're getting help with finding out, okay, what's the job my disordered eating is doing? And two, then what are the skills I need to learn so I don't need to use this stuff? And that's how it works. Yeah. And that's how you completely recover. Totally. Right. And I know that I've been asked this question so much. It's like, well, I've been clean and sober for many years and I don't understand why I can't get over my eating thing or my body hatred thing. It's like, well, you don't need alcohol or drugs to live, but you do need your body. You need a relationship with your body and you do need a relationship with food. And so that's what makes it different. And you have to work with it. You have to dance with it and learn how to see what you're trying to tell yourself and hear and listen. Just like you're saying, what is the log doing for you? You can't let go of that until you've got another, I don't know, until you can trust yourself to live without the log. The log on your wall is 
art. Right, right, right. And it is two different processes uh, between recovery from eating and a substance, abuse of some sort. But the thing is, it's doable. It's like kids who have divorced parents and they can figure out, okay, these are the rules in mommy's house and these are the rules in daddy's house. That's right. It's like, okay, once you know how they're different, you can navigate that. And so, yeah, it's doable. Oh, yes. And I think that's a beautiful place to stop because I feel that so many of of my clients, and I too felt like this when I was trying to recover that, well, that person can recover or everybody in that book can recover, but I never can because it's just worse for me. But when we can remember that we all have this inside, we already know how to do it. It's already there. We all know how to eat. We all know how to feel our feelings. We all know how to love the body that we came in because we've all been babies. Mm -hmm. They know all of that just intuitively. So grateful that you came today to talk to us. And I just really admire and love your work. And I really appreciate you being here. My pleasure. And I so appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. And we will keep fighting the good fight every day. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's not about food.com. Thanks.